What's up, everyone? It's the Rob, the Jam, the podcast coming to you as always with Rob. How you doing, Rob? I'm doing. I'm doing pretty well. You know, the NBA season is over. Uh, the finals were actually a lot of fun. It was a, it was a great finals, albeit marred by some injuries, but it was really enjoyable, much more so than the past couple. And uh, I'm I'm excited for the off season. I'm also kind of dreading the off season, uh, both for the amount of pointless rumor writing I will have to do, as well as for uh, the developments that have kind of taken place over the last week uh, that are not in the Clippers' favor. But I know we're going to be talking about that a lot later. So. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, I'm also kind of not looking forward to it. It should be fun. That first week of July is always a mess. I'm Chapon, by the way. And always, and also here, not always, but often recently, is Lucas. <laughs> How are you, Lucas? You know what? I'm just happy that we're doing this at 2 p.m. Uh, I'm thrilled about that. Yeah, it's not 2 a.m. Normally we do it at 2 a.m. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's a, that's a good thing. Yeah, it's, it's not bad at all. Yeah, the, final, the finals were fun. I found myself pretty transfixed in them, especially after that crazy game five. They were pretty, uh, pretty momentous. I mean, we had the huge clay injury, the huge Duran injury. Man, I, I know when I when I saw that injury live, I thought it would. I thought it was a bit a strain, but for him to tear his ACL, clay that that really that really sucks. And man, there's there's a lot to unpack. Um, we can start with you, Rob. I mean. We could just start with the injuries first before we talk about the games. Yeah. The games were amazing, but Clay has a torn ACL. That recovery time is usually at least at least a half a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Achilles rupture for Durant should take him out the whole year. Um, and these two, these guys are both free agents and both uh, looking to command max, max contracts. I don't think this changes anything, particularly for Clay. He's going to get a max deal tomorrow from from Golden State as soon as they can. Um, Durant, you know, Durant has some interesting options. He could opt in. He could do a shorter deal. He could just do a max deal, which probably it sounds like that's what his camp still wants to do. And sounds like that's going to be offered to him regardless. These injuries, I mean, what do you think about this, this shaping? What happens with the Warriors? What happens with the, with free agency? Well, Um, I think, I think the most important thing is that it throws the West. I'm not going to say the NBA because um, I think there's still some teams in the East who will be really good if they can retain their free agents. Again, big if. But this throws the West wide open next year. Like you said, I mean, Durant, even if he stays with the Warriors, is out the entire year. Clay will be out probably at least until, what, February? Like, it's doubtful he comes back at 100% next year. Iggy, Draymond, Steph are all a year older. Kevon Looney's a free agent. Some team might throw a lot of money at Kevon Looney, who is really good. Um, DeMarcus Cousins, who knows what's going to happen with him. Sean Livingston might retire. Um, you know, the Warriors are just in complete flux right now, outside of Steph. I mean, Draymond is getting hinted that he might be in trade talks. Um, I mean, this team that's loomed over the West for, you know, half a decade now is maybe not gone, but it's kind of in shambles overnight. Um, and when you look at the rest of the Western Conference, the Rockets, it seems like, are going to make moves. Daryl Morey is not satisfied with that roster, though that honestly might change with what's happened with the Warriors. Um, and they're also getting older, um, you know, and 
really most of the other teams don't seem like huge threats to be some dominant force. So it's kind of thrown things open. And I think there might be more trades and more free agent swings than we've seen. Even rumors last night that teams like the Nuggets or the Blazers might go a little harder after Anthony Davis now, even if they know he walks, because if they trade for him, they could win it all next year. Um, So, I mean, these are all huge rippling side effects. Specifically, I think Clay was already really likely to resign there. I now think he's a lock to resign there. The Warriors have to offer him a max. And he is not at the Durant level where I think other teams will still be offering him a max. Like, I know a torn ACL is not, you know, a career ending or even usually really a career shifting injury anymore, but he's still probably going to miss most of next season. And it's still a bad injury for a guy who's played a lot of minutes and is, I think he's like around 30, maybe he's like a little younger, but I mean, it's certainly not good. And I think, you know, a couple of the offers that might've been there will not be there. I think he's almost a lock to return to the Warriors and Durant. I mean, I I have no idea what he does now Um, because a lot of it so much depends on what he actually feels about that injury. Does he really think that the medical advice he got, from them was not good, that they gave him bad advice, um, either maliciously or just they just didn't have the right idea of what his injury was and how severe it was or what it could lead to. Um, In that case, he might be less likely to return. The other option, of course, is he opts in and he's like, you know, I got this injury on your watch. You're going to pay $31 million to rehab it. Um, So I really, I have no idea what happens with him. But I think this does mean other teams entered the Anthony Davis trade realm. I do think he's still going to the Lakers. Uh, but they're just moving pieces all over the court. What this means with Kawhi, um, what this says about other stars, and they're you know trying to sign long-term deals to secure their money because of these injuries. Um, yeah, who knows? But um, it's I just I feel bad for for Clay and Kevin Durant, especially KD who. I mean, that Achilles injury is, is really bad. So. That, that Achilles rupture was, like, vicious. Like, as, as soon as it happened, I was like, that's probably the Achilles. And, and I am, as I've mentioned before, I am a doctor. So a lot of people, I love listening to podcasts and, and hearing people be like, well, I'm not a doctor. So I can, I can, uh, I can kind of say I'm, it's kind of cool. Um, so Steph Curry, I mean, just looking at the Warriors cap situation, Lucas, I mean, Steph's in the bag for $40 million. Durant has the opt-in for 31 and a half. Draymond's at 18 and a half. Iggy is at 17 million. They have a team option on Livingston that they're going to probably not take. And he might retire. That's, that's super sad, by the way. Like, Sean Livingston has had a great career, and it's just kind of glossed over that he'll retire. The rest of the – they have a couple of other guys that are on chump, uh, chump contracts. So, really, just right there, they max Durant. They max Clay. They have Draymond and Iggy. They're already well over. What's going to happen to this team? Is this, you know, is this the, are, are they going to end up going with Steph and Clay and, you know, and just kind of, and maybe Durant too. And just the idea that they trade Draymond is still kind of crazy to me. I've been hearing the rumors about it, but it sounds like it could be something that happens. This whole thing with the Warriors, this whole series is just insane for the Warriors. It feels like it's just completely changed so much as far as them and their future and what's going to happen. What, what do you think about really quickly about the Warriors and just, their future and it lending into the West and the, and the parody in the West. Yeah. I, I mean, the interesting thing with the Warriors is the way the NBA's new luxury tax works, uh, where it used to be 
you know, for the longest time, the NBA's luxury tax was for every dollar that you are over the luxury tax, you pay a dollar in tax. So if you, if the luxury tax threshold was 130 million and you had a 150 million payroll, you would pay that $150 million to your players and then you would pay an additional $20 million in taxes. But the NBA now has a tiered tax system, um, more similar to like how income tax works, where for it's like an incremental progressive tax, right? So you pay a certain rate on the first 5 million and then a higher rate on the next 5 million, a higher rate on the next 5 million. And they also have an additional repeater penalty if you have been in the luxury tax, I think it's like three out of the last four years, which the Warriors now have. Um, this will be their third of the last four years in the luxury tax. So they will be repeater payers next year. So, um, you know, I, I ran the math um, for a mailbag that I did the other day. Uh, the question in that mailbag was if Kevin Durant opted into his contract, which I don't think is going to happen. Um, he's going to have multiple teams, including the Warriors, including the Clippers, willing to give him a new max contract starting at $38 million this summer. So there's no reason for him to opt into his $30 million contract. But that's what the mailbag question was. And when I did all of the math for that, you know, assuming that Livingston leaves, but that they keep Iguodala, that they don't re-sign any of the guys like Looney or Bell or Quinn Cook or Jonas Rebko to above minimum deals, um, but they do use their taxpayer mid-level exception, et cetera, that put them at around $32 million over the tax line. Um, now, again, that was without Durant opting out and signing a new deal. So if he does that, there would be about $40 million over. Um, at the $32 million threshold, that would mean $163 million in payroll and $126 million in luxury tax payments. Man. That extra $8 million probably costs them more than $50 million in luxury tax payments with the way the incremental tax works. So if Durant, you know, if they're $40 million over, they're looking at maybe $340 million in roster payments next year between payments to players and luxury tax payments. That's just not, um, it's not feasible, really. I mean, it's something that maybe if Durant and Clay were both healthy, they could do for one year um, and win another championship. But with Durant and Clay both out, they have no avenues to add depth. They're not even going to be able to put together a decent starting five next year with those guys on max deals. Um, there's really no way, I think, for the Warriors to be that good next season just because, I mean, Steph is still Steph and Draymond is still Draymond. But you really question the extent to which Iggy is still Iggy. And after that, there's just nobody. Like Alfonso McKinney is going to be starting, and who knows who else is going to be starting um, in that lineup. Jamarcus Cousins is, is going to be gone. So I don't think you can pay over $300 million in payroll for a team that is not going to contend for a championship. The question is, can they make it manageable for next year so that when Durant and Thompson are back the year after, then they can pay the tax again. So I think what they might try to do is, you know, Andre Iguodala, $17 million next year, not a guy who is, yeah, I, I, he's not a guy who's part of the long-term plan for them at this point. 
at 34 years old with the way he's declining. I think they move off of that deal. And I think Draymond Green with one year and $18 million left, if they max out Clay and Durant, they can't also max out Draymond when he hits free agency next summer. They can't, you can't fit four max deals. It's just not going to work for the luxury tax payment. So they might move Draymond as well in an attempt to get draft picks and younger players and potentially kind of punt next season, get a good draft pick of their own. Um, although I guess I don't know if they even own their own. They do own their own draft pick next year. Um, so then you're now talking like, all right, we got some young pieces for Draymond. We have Steph and Clay and Durant. You know, we have two years of right this year's mid-level exception and next year's mid-level exception to sign role players. So maybe we're talking a year off for the Warriors, and then they could come back with Steph, Clay, Durant, and some actual depth the following year. But the Warriors are, you know, not much that, in my view, that they could really do next year to to really still be contending. Wow, what a what a difference a couple of games make. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of how it feels. Clay is definitely staying, and he'll be rehabbing. Uh, ACL tears usually take – you're usually playing on it for a season before you feel like you're the player you are again. I mean, Pat Beverly was kind of an exception when – even he was a little bit slow when he came back, but he kind of picked things up pretty quickly to be almost the guy he was by the end of the season uh, with his tear. But – um Man, it's a, it's just a lot to unpack, especially from a Warrior perspective. Let's talk a little bit about the Toronto perspective, probably a perspective we're more interested in personally. They have a guy named Kawhi Leonard. He was Finals MVP. He's a fun guy. He um, had a great, great playoff run, one of the, probably the best playoff runs ever. He kind of sputtered a little bit to, to end the finals, but he still had his moments. He was great again. And, Rob, we've talked about this. And the idea of maybe Kawhi winning a title, making it more likely for him to leave. The way his his press conferences are, and I've been analyzing his press conferences, <laughs> they're always so deadpan and so almost not disconnected, but like just very matter of fact. And people are hanging on to the fact that he said they when talking about Toronto as if he's already left. Um, I don't really know how much to read into anything he says. I'm sure he's going to be happy for a week and the parade's going to be a lot of fun. And I'm kind of glad that he didn't win in Toronto. We were texting about it, that he didn't win in Toronto because it would have been a stronger memory. I mean, what do we make of Kawhi and the Clippers' chances of signing Kawhi? We can start with you, Rob. I think, I mean, I wouldn't take anything away from that press conference. I mean, he literally just won... Yeah. The NBA championship and finals MVP, like, what, 20 minutes before? Mm-hmm. He was almost certainly having some kind of drink, you know, <laughs> yeah. whatever, high-end yeah. liquor. Like, the, there's just no reason to take that seriously. And, I mean, um, you know, Kawhi seems like a smart guy. He's never necessarily been, like, the most articulate. Um, you know, playing that into everything else, like, I just – I'm not taking anything away from his they comments or anything. That said – I mean, basically all indications are that he really is still deciding. Um, And it's been reported for months that it's basically just between the Raptors and Clippers. Like every once in a while, a team like the Lakers or Nets will shove their way in there. But it's basically just been Clippers or Raptors for, you know, since basically like November, December. And it seems like he's genuinely still deciding, which is all the Clippers could hope for considering he literally just won the NBA championship. Um, you know, my view has been for weeks now that 
him winning that title for Toronto should relieve him of any guilt he may have had about leaving. Um, you know, he did something. He's going to be a Toronto legend forever. Most of the fans there, all the reasonable ones anyway, will not care if he leaves. You know, obviously they'll, they would rather he stay. <laughs> I'm not suggesting they wouldn't. You know, it's not like they're not going to care at all. But I don't think that many people really hold it against him. I mean, he won them an NBA championship after they struggled for years uh, in the playoffs. And before that, they weren't even in the playoffs for years. So, you know, and I think he can leave now without really any guilt and without that much pushback from the Raptors or, or the fans or whatever. You know, that said, they literally just won a championship. Um, you know, two of their key players, really Pascal Siakam is the other key guy there. Um I think I read stats, a stat somewhere. Somebody tweeted he averaged 28 and four on well over 50% shooting in the finals. Really good defender. I mean, he's, he's an all-star level player, you know, borderline. He was a borderline all NBA, all defense guy this year. And this was his third year in the NBA. Now he's an older prospect, but he could still get better. Um, you know, the Clippers just don't have anybody like that. They don't. Um, now, outside of him, the rest of the Raptors roster is mostly older. The only other guy really in their rotation who's still young and can improve is Fred Van Vliet, and he, even he is not that young. Um, so that is an argument. You know, Kyle Lowry, Serge Ibaka, Marc Gasol, these are all older players who are going to keep declining. Um, so for basketball reasons, it still could be that Kawhi would think the Clippers give him a better shot over the next five years. but. Really, I think for him, it all comes down to how much does he just want to play in Southern California, live, you know, in L.A., be near his childhood home and his family and everything. It seems to mean a lot, and the Clippers are still offering it. So I I still think they have a pretty good shot. Um, You know, I don't know. I'm never a huge fan of believing in Vegas or or these odds, but all these odds are still giving the Clippers good chances to win the title next year, and that only happens if they think – Kawhi, because it can't be KD anymore if they think Kawhi is going to the Clippers. So, you know, trust Vegas or not, but Vegas still seems to like Kawhi to the Clippers. Plenty of people still think, you know, as recently as a week ago that he was, that he still could leave. So I think he's probably their best bet. I think Durant actually still might be a possibility, but obviously he's going to be out next year. Um, and there's more risk now with the Achilles, but. You know, I wouldn't take anything away from the press conference yesterday, but I still do think the Clippers have a pretty good shot at Kawhi. Lucas, what do you think about Kawhi? Um, I mean, I don't think that my my assessment of the situation has changed much. Um, it, you know, it's so hard to this is this is similar for me. You know, we say all the time around the NBA lottery, right? That whatever happens at the lottery, there's a narrative you can put together to say why it's rigged, right? Like, oh, the league helped this team because of this, or the league wanted this team because of this market, or the league helped this team because it's losing money, right? All of the teams that are in the lottery need some kind of help. So there's always a way for you to spin it and say that it's rigged. And I think that with how outside we are from Kawhi's decision-making process, maybe them winning the championship is what he needed to decide that that's where he wanted to be. They proved that they were a good enough supporting cast and a good enough organization, or maybe him winning the championship, like Robert has said, is kind of gives him the freedom to say, you know, I like Phil, I fulfilled my end of the deal. 
you know, I don't owe you anything now, et cetera. Um, and I don't think that we can really know which way those sort of narratives break unless we're in his brain, uh, which we, which we can't be. I do think in terms of valuing, you know, how he ranks his criteria, what's important to him. I think that being in Southern California is very, very high. And so like everything else has to swing in the Raptors favor for him to not want to be back in Southern California. And maybe it does. They did just win a championship. Um, you know, we'll see uh, the Washington Wizards are going really hard after Masai Ujiri, uh, the Raptors basketball executive. So maybe if he leaves to Washington, then that could be something that Kawhi maybe loses a little bit of faith in the basketball side of the Raptors organization. Uh, we do talk about the Raptors having these older guys who are declining, but the Raptors also have, like, in the last decade, been one of the best teams in the NBA at, like, drafting and developing well. So they're not necessarily a team that I'm worried about having, like, depleting um, ranks, depleting talent sort of coming up the ranks. But um, especially, you know, now that Kevin Durant is out, potentially if the Warriors ran it back next year and were healthy, you would say, okay, well, Toronto doesn't win this series if Clay and KD are both healthy. So maybe then Kawhi doesn't see himself as having a chance for another championship next year with the Warriors out of the picture, the Clippers could possibly, or I, excuse me, with the Warriors out of the picture, the Raptors could repeat, um, you know, that's not out of the question, even with this aging roster, one more year of Marcus Gasol, one more year of Kyle Lowry, like, you could repeat with that team. And so there's a lot for him to consider, I think. I think, you know, if I had to bet, I would still say he's more likely to be a Clipper than a Raptor. But um, certainly it's it's hard to be inside his head. Yeah, um, I probably – I'm not a betting man, but, yeah, I am a pessimist, <laughs> just, like, just like Rob. I probably would say that he's going to stay with the Raptors, do a one-on-one type of thing and – and uh, I think a lot of their contracts come off the books next year too. So um, I wouldn't be surprised if he ran it back once. You know, there's also the idea that he he want that getting a long term contract with somebody with his injury history would be the prudent thing as well. So there's a, a lot to kind. Of, so doing a one and one, especially with Durant just having this Achilles injury, but probably still getting the max max deal anyways. And I feel like Kawhi, if he did a one and one, and somehow got hurt like in the playoffs or something he would it's not like he wouldn't have his suitors anyways so maybe that's a little bit overblown but it still wouldn't be a bad idea for him to get you know especially with how mentally he sounded like he was worried about that injury of getting just job security and a multi-year deal rather than doing a one-in-one and and being worried about his long-term future it's tough it's tough so I don't know. And Lucas, before we kind of get away from it, I saw I scour NBA Twitter and particularly Clipper Twitter uh, whenever I can, even though I don't have a Twitter account. I saw you mention about Clay, and that was one of the few things I saw too. When Clay hit those free throws, and I think he was getting barked on getting back on for defense mm-hmm. by Draymond. I, I was I was more upset at that than the whole Durant the Raptors applauding slash doing whatever confusion stuff. That was one of the most upsetting moments for me 
in this playoff run. Um, and I saw that you had mentioned it too. So what did you think about that? I was just kind of pissed off. That was really the, should we rethink the warriors and kind of their training staff maybe, or their, or their, or Steve Kerr and, and, uh, and, you know, Bob Myers, that was really rough. Like I couldn't believe that they were walking on that play for however much and needed, needed DMC to kind of, Cousins, who's like my least favorite player in the league almost, to like do a normal thing. And I was really upset when I watched that. What, could, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, when DeMarcus Cousins is the adult in the situation, <laughs> right? Like DeMarcus Cousins is the responsible one. I mean, so here's the thing. Um, for, for those who don't know, when a player gets fouled and is supposed to go shoot free throws, if they are unable to shoot the free throws, they are not allowed to return to the game. So if Clay had gone back to the locker room when he did, and then they had looked at it and gone, okay, you know, this was scary, but you're fine. We're going to put a brace on it. You can go back out and play. He would not have been able to return to the game if he hadn't shot those free throws. So him coming back down, the, which, you know, maybe is a rule that the NBA needs to reform, talking about player health and safety. Um, but with that being the rule, I'm fine with him coming back out of the tunnel to shoot the two free throws. Um, you know, I think Kobe did it when he ruptured his Achilles. Right. Players have done it when they're injured before because, really, you can shoot a free throw with a torn ACL. It's not a health risk. But then for the Warriors, because they were in the penalty and committing an intentional foul to get Clay off the floor would have given the Raptors free throws, the Warriors coaching staff decided that they were going to have Clay play a possession of defense before they could basically sub him out and send him back to the locker room to get checked out. And then, it, you know, as it turns out, he tore his ACL. Like, that's an incre- like, incredibly, incredibly reckless to have him be playing in that situation. And I don't know if, um, you know, if, if either of you guys have ever had like a major sports injury. Um, but when, when you do, you don't really know. Um, I mean, sometimes, you know, right. You you feel the pop in your Achilles, you know, but like, I, um, I like had my cheekbone collapsed inward from an elbow and um, it wasn't necessarily collapsed, but it was it was fractured inward. And like I finished the game because I felt fine. And then it was within about 30 minutes after the game ended that I realized that like I was in, you know, serious trouble. But like if I had gotten another hit on that cheekbone while I was finishing that game, that could have been really, really bad. And I I just didn't know that I was hurt that badly because of the adrenaline. So I think saying oh, well, Clay wants to jog back on defense and walk it off. Steve Kerr, as a coach in that situation, has a responsibility to his players. Um, and, like, I don't know, I, I have a lot of respect for Steve Kerr. I lost a lot of respect for Steve Kerr in that moment because he took a guy, you know, supposedly someone who he's supposed to care about, a guy who's in a contract year, and he just showed a total disregard for that person's safety and well-being. Um, I think it's I think it should be talked about more. I mean, I think it's re- – I really, really have a problem with that, um, with, especially because the trade-off is, oh, we're going to, you know, commit a foul and have Pascal Siakam take two free throws. It's not like you're losing the championship because of it. You know, it's in the third quarter. Um, 
So I'm glad that DeMarcus Cousins gave that foul and let Clay get out of the game. But I really, really, like, I don't think I'll ever forget Steve Kerr making that decision. Rob, do you have any takes about that whole situation? Or even just the Warriors, this series, and Not handling really. of players? I mean, the Durant stuff is still really murky for me. I think anybody who has a really strong take on that is, is kind of going off of what, you know, their preconceived ideas are. Like, you know, Lucas and I follow a ton of, you know, to say uh, player, not player centric, um, you know, player supportive people on Twitter, which means that they will almost always take the player's side over management ownership. And we agree with that both just from the NBA specifically and just in general, like workers against ownership, corporations, et cetera. Um, But, you know, the Durant thing is, just we don't know. We don't know what exactly the Warriors medical team told him. We don't know if they really were putting pressure, whether directly or even covertly, about coming him coming back. It seems like you know somehow people in the Warriors organization talk to reporters, and neither Lucas nor I can stand Tim Kawakami, who's the head athletic guy for you know the Bay Oakland. Um, Bay Oakland for the Bay area athletic, you know, he's editor in chief. He wrote this thing about Durant kind of saying he wasn't coming back like he should have. Um, and somebody in the Warriors gave him something about that. Now we don't know who it could be like, it could literally be like some sales guy who was just, you know, wants Durant to come back or whatever. Um, you know, that's always the thing with sources and when people say, you know, people in the organization, well, who does that mean? Um, does that mean Bob Myers? Does it mean Steve Kerr? Um, you know, there are other reports saying players were frustrated and it was unclear whether it meant they were frustrated with Durant not coming back or just frustrated that Durant had an injury. My take on it was always that they were just frustrated that Durant was still injured. He's their best player or second best, you know, whatever you think of Steph. Uh, he's the guy they needed to win the series, which you could tell, you know, as the series played out, the Raptors were going to win this one if Durant didn't play. And, you know, guys can be frustrated that their chance at winning another title wasn't going to be there. doesn't mean they were necessarily upset at Durant, you know. So that whole thing is murky. The Clay thing, I don't have a super strong take on. But, yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd have no idea why he was out there and why they were trying to get him to play defense. He wanted to play through it. The players always want to play through it. And yeah. it's really a bad idea. Um, so they should have fouled right away. At, you know, good on Cousins for doing it. Bad on Kerr. I don't really have much stronger take beyond that. I don't really have any takeaways from the Warriors. I don't necessarily think this is all one massive indictment on them. I definitely don't think it's a good thing. Um, but we really don't know. And I don't think there's been any super strong reporting yet that would indicate um, a strong take one way or another on the entire organization and medical staff. Uh, they definitely do look kind of suspect, but we don't really know. Um, in this, I think the injury thing, like I had a torn um, labrum in my shoulder and I didn't know about it for like weeks. Like I knew it was injured because it kept sublocating. It was really painful, um, but, like, I got an x-ray, um, which came back. There was nothing there. Um, yeah. You know, on just, like, a daily, hourly basis, nothing was really happening. You know, if I did strenuous activities, it would kind of pop out and pop back in. It was awful. Um, but, like, I thought it could just be loose or, you know, something I just needed to rest on it. 
and it turns out like, I got a torn muscle and I had to get surgery. Um, so you, you never know. Like Clay was running around because he still had adrenaline. Um, and then apparently once he got back to the locker room, it was like, damn, this is a really bad injury. Um, so it's just all very confusing. Um, I really, you know, I'm not medically experienced and I also just, that kind of the stuff, you know, can get very serious in terms of, you know, upholding your, you know, Hippocratic oath to patients. Like, <laughs> like, and really like if the, the warrior staff gave him bad advice, you know, whether because they wanted him to return to help the team or just because they were incompetent. Like, it's really bad. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, if the reports are true that they didn't think this calf injury could lead to an Achilles injury, like, they should be fired. Because um, I don't know how they would possibly think that. Um, but we really don't know. And I've been talking for too long about stuff that I just don't know too much about. <laughs> I mean, really, I, I, I played some basketball in, uh, in high school, not, not particularly great basketball. <laughs> and I have some medical background. I just like, this guy needs to get checked out right away. Just seeing that injury didn't look good. You know, it could have been a strain from when it looked from when it was there, but he definitely moved in the wrong way. And that they didn't foul immediately was like incensing to me. Like I was like watching with a buddy and, I couldn't believe that they weren't just following immediately to take him out. Like, and Clay would have been run up and down the whole game. Like he would have kept playing, but you, there, there is a responsibility. And I thought it was a really, really bad luck. It, it was really frustrating. I, I was also surprised that it wasn't more on Twitter that I could see because it took me a minute to kind of get over it. Like it took me, I was, I couldn't believe that, that Clay was playing still that he was that even if it was just for a few seconds or how, however a little bit of a delay, I, I was upset. So I kind of hope that it becomes more of a mention because we have to look out. We have to look out for these guys. I think the ad, entire idea of it's going to be, of course, be an issue more so because of Durant than because of clay, but that's also, that was very, very, yeah, very I could not believe he came ne- back. Very negligent. And I was, I, I would I would have been fine if he didn't even come back for the free throws. Honestly, with how bad it looked, I mean, yes, you come back and you shoot the free throws, but man, you got to pull him out immediately. Like it's he that that was a bad injury, and uh, he shouldn't move off that free throw line. Like he should shoot the free throws and stand still while someone else gives a foul, and then get helped back to the locker room. He was ready, and and I I can't remember exactly, but I felt like Draymond was screaming to the side for him to, to pick up an assignment or something. I, I saw Draymond kind of yelling. I don't know if it was to foul or if it was for everybody to pick up their assignments. It seemed like it was for assignments. I have to look at it again because I, I didn't look at that play enough times over because I wanted to watch it again after the game ended. But uh, I know that Draymond was doing his Draymond stuff, but I just don't know if it was – telling somebody I don't think it was telling anybody to foul and I saw Clay just kind of drifting to his guy I was just I, yeah I, what what I think what the broadcasters were saying at that moment um which you know on the one hand they can hear the coaches and we can't but on the other hand you know they might not necessarily like they get stuff wrong all the time right but um what the broadcasters were saying was that oh the Warriors actually aren't going to foul they're going to play zone for a possession mm-hmm. so I think Draymond may have been right. you know Draymond is sort of like the quarterback of the defense right. may have been set trying to set up the zone kind of following the coach's instructions and I think DeMarcus Cousins was kind of like nope we're not doing this and gave the foul good um, that's kind of what it looked like to me too but I was I was at a 
I, I couldn't hear the the broadcasters as much because I was just watching uh, at like a sports bar. So yeah, it, that was just kind of frustrating to me. And uh, I I hope it kind of gets. I hope if anything, like the the Warriors will be under fire because of how they dealt with players. That's the moment where more than anything because the Achilles injury, the calf injury. I believe them that they that they did what they could to kind of clear Durant medically, and of course he's going to want to play. You know, maybe that's a bit negligent too, but that, that there's no real saying one way or the other. This Clay thing, there was no excuse. So that was that was more frustrating to me than anything that happened with Kevin Durant. So mm-hmm. I think we can stop talking about this though. <laughs> uh, so aside from that, I mean, we talked a little bit about Kawhi. The Raptors organization, Masai Ujiri is going to get offered a huge contract. There's an idea that the Raptors really could have won and done this. What are you guys going to end up taking from this finals? It felt like a very historical kind of finals, especially even in comparison to these past few years. I was I was very, very into all the narratives of this finals. I thought it was so intriguing. Is there really anything you're going to take from this finals? What's the one thing you're going to remember from this finals now that it's done and we have a little bit to look back on. I guess there, you guess you can't judge any everything until you know what happens with this off season. But we can start with you, Lucas. Like, what are you going to end up taking from this finals? I mean, I think the biggest thing is that you know there was real question after you know the circumstances of that championship in San Antonio, where obviously Kawhi was great and deserving a Finals MVP, but he was also I think 21 years old when he won that finals MVP and he was being, you know, he was in that system with Duncan and Ginobili and Parker um, and Popovich. Right. And so, it was, you know, a little, maybe it, it, that's, it's different. That's a different kind of championship than the championship he just won. And while he was, he's been a top five player in the league since then, he had that year in San Antonio where he was hurt. People weren't sure at the level he was going to come back, people weren't sure at the level he was going to produce outside of San Antonio. Um, and so I think this finals cements really like Kawhi and Durant and LeBron are the three guys in the league that we know can be the best player on a championship team. And LeBron is probably never doing that again especially with the Lakers and Durant just ruptured his Achilles. So Kawhi all of a sudden becomes the, the guy in the league. Um, And then, you know, I'm not saying that no one else is ever going to win a finals MVP, but we don't know, like people would have sworn a few years ago that Anthony Davis would be like, like if you look at this, the roster the Pelicans had, and you think about how good people talk about Anthony Davis being, why can they not make the playoffs? Like, why can they not? You know, if he's that kind of transcendent talent, it doesn't make sense. So I think Anthony Davis is maybe falling more into, like, the Blake Griffin tier um, than emerging into that, like, LeBron, Durant, Kawhi tier. What's going to happen with a guy like Giannis? I think he's a guy who is still somewhat on the cusp, maybe, um, and he's very young, and there's, there's plenty of headroom there. I'm not saying that he's not going to be that kind of guy. But Kawhi is the person who has proven best player on a championship team in two different environments, several years apart, um, as recently as last night. 
So that's the kind of value that we talk about. Like Paul George, you know, look how crazy people went over Paul George when he was available coming out of Indiana and then potentially last summer, the Lakers trying to get him, but he decided to stay in Oklahoma city. Paul George has taken two Pacers teams to the Eastern conference finals to lose to the big three Miami teams in weak years in the East. Like that is, he was the best player on teams that lost to the predestined winners. Why now has one best player on championship winning teams. There's not a lot of guys who can do that. Like Jimmy Butler is not going to be the best player on your championship winning team. Um, Chris Paul clearly is not the best player on the championship winning team. So I think that's the perspective that the Clippers have too, is like maybe the mistake that this front office sees in the Lob City era is that they just didn't have the guys they needed to get. And I don't think that this front office is going to settle for those second level superstars anymore. Um, And that means if they don't get someone, they'll wait, but they're not going to pay someone like Jimmy Butler um, or someone like Chris Middleton or whomever so that they can foreclose their possibility of getting that level of guy. But yeah, Kawhi cemented that he is that guy, um, which I think is, and with Durant being out of the picture too, that's, that's so big. It's like wherever Kawhi goes this summer and sure, maybe it's only going to be Toronto or the Clippers, but like wherever he goes is probably number one in the championship odds. Pretty crazy. That's a ton of power for one player. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Pretty, pretty, pretty amazing. And yeah, I mean, that's kind of the nature of how the West is even right now. Pretty incredible to think about it. What about you, Rob? What was your lasting thoughts of the finals? My lasting memory of the finals will probably be Fred Van Vliet making every single three he took. Yeah, <laughs> my gosh. He just turned into a flame. Hubie Brown. Yeah. Hubie Brown. Give him the Iggy Recognition Award. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that might be my lasting memory. Um, I really was really happy for Kyle Lowry, who's been one of my favorite players. He was like kind of a light Chris Paul for years. Is now better than Chris Paul, I'd say. Um, played phenomenally well. Honestly, he might have gotten my finals MVP vote. Um, I yeah, but Larry, Larry had like three pretty mediocre offensive games, right? I feel like half the series. I actually thought the interesting thing was I actually thought Kawhi's defense for a lot of this was not great. That's fair. Um, I agree with Lucas, but I also think Kawhi is so fascinating because he did load management this entire year. I can't remember how many games he actually played. Like, 60 or something right he missed yeah. like 20 games yeah he was playing injured for a lot of this finals um a lot of the playoffs really which on one hand um you know it's so impressive that he did what he did while playing injured but it is still worrying that after all that load management and rest and everything he was still playing with a bad leg for a lot of the playoffs now you have to sign him anyway like Lucas said, if the Clippers sign Kawhi and bring back a couple of their other free agents, like Pat Beverly and, and Jamichael Green, like they might be championship favorites next year. I don't know if they'll be number one. It would depend on how the rest of free agency panned out. Like if the Lakers get Anthony Davis and Jimmy Butler, Anthony Davis and Kyrie, I think they would be championship favorites um, for good reason. But, you know, Kawhi is one of the three best players in the NBA right now. I still am not sure a five-year max 
or four-year max, whatever, will end up looking that great. Um, just because I do worry about his injury, but like this Raptors title showed, I think more than anything else that, you know, one championship is all you need, you know, especially for teams like the Raptors or Clippers who have never won championships. Um, you know, the Clippers infamously have never even been to the conference playoffs, conference finals. Um, you know, if they get one championship out of Kawhi and then he's not the same or injured or whatever, you know, it's still worth it. Um, that's what you play for and lost in all the free agency and the draft and all these things is that you're playing to win a title and Kawhi Leonard gives you an, a, a really good chance at winning a title next year or so it looks like. I mean, I'm still all in on Kawhi. Um, I think he's a great fit. He's obviously, you know, a magnificent player. I think there are some injury worries. Um, but yeah, I actually don't have that many memories of Kawhi from the finals. Really the biggest thing, the most crazy thing he did was that two minute stretch in game five where he scored, you know, 10 points in, in 90 seconds. Yeah. Uh, and they ended up losing that game. So really I'm probably going to remember Van Vliet hitting a million threes and Lowry just masterminding the Raptors offense, Serge Ibaka throwing it way back. He was really good mm-hmm. most of the series after I think he's been kind of mediocre for a lot of the past couple of years. Um, I, it was just really well played basketball. I thought, and, um, yeah, I mean, I think I think Lucas's takeaways are definitely the correct ones on on Kawhi and the overarching themes, which is that you need one of those guys to win a championship, and the Clippers apparently never really had one. I still maintain that the right fit around Chris Paul probably could have won a title, um, but we will never know, and the evidence is against that, obviously, um, but. You know, I think all the reporting and everything we know is that this Clippers front office will not overpay for second or third tier free agents. I know um, Chris, you know, one of our writers on Clips Nation wrote something about other guys who they could sign yesterday. And one of them, Clay Thompson, looks, you know, <laughs> looks bad just 24 hours later. Um, but I really don't think they're going to go after any of those guys. Like, you know, maybe if you can get like a Boyan Bogdanovich for like a two or three year deal on, you know, a reasonable rate, like maybe. But even that, like, you know, I just don't know. Like, I think it's either they get Kawhi and or KD or they just run it back with maybe a couple stopgap guys here or there. Um, and I think that's the prudent course of action. Like you have talented young players. You can keep growing. Next year's free agency class doesn't look great, but you know, if Durant picks up his option, he's going to be a free agent again next year. Um, you know, if Anthony Davis gets traded to a team, that's not the Lakers or maybe even is the Lakers, he might be a free agent next year. Um, and it seems very likely that he goes to Lakers because of the rich Paul clutch thing, but you know, maybe the Clippers can worm their way in there. Um, you know, I think, I think the Clippers are still pursuing things the right way. And I'm just interested, interested to see if they're able to get their guy. Yeah, I'll, I'll add to that, that um, Jovan Buhoff, who writes about the Clippers for The Athletic, wrote the other day that when the Clippers moved Blake Griffin and got Tobias Harris, the, they were thinking roughly the same as, as we, you know, talk about the front office thinking in terms of, you know, long-term flexibility, youth, um, prospects eventually adding that big number one star, not giving out those big cons like the Blake Griffin contract, that level of contract 
that's kind of what I think of when I think, okay, like, would the Clippers go after Kemba Walker? Well, what's the point of trading Blake Griffin's max contract if you're going to use the cap space two years later to sign Kemba, right? Like, your ceiling's not moving. So they're only making those big investments for guys who raise the ceiling of the team. But Jovan wrote that when the Clippers made that trade, they actually weren't thinking about the summer of 2019 just because of where the roster was talent-wise and the Gallinari contract that they had. The Clippers were thinking about the summer of 2021, which is when Giannis will be an unrestricted free agent. LeBron will be back on the market. You know, I think Paul George maybe again. A bunch of guys in 2021 um, will be able to be free agents. So the Clippers were actually thinking, okay, we'll take a few years. We'll get use. You know, we'll get this Gallinari contract off the books. Because if you recall, a year ago, we were thinking the Clippers would have to give up picks to move that Gallinari deal um, before the year that he just had. And now that timeline has been accelerated by sort of the roster overachieving. Now Gallinari seems very movable. The young guys, you know, they have two rookie starting guards who are very good, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but so if the Clippers do strike out this summer, I think they just kind of keep that timeline going. I think they still try to trade Gallinari to get something for him. Um, I don't think they tank, but I think they – maybe lean into not spending long-term money and putting a good developmental situation around like Shea and Shemet, maybe trying to find a more long-term piece at the forward position in one of the next couple of drafts and then hitting free agency. You know, 2020's class is kind of weak, but 2021 is probably when they would be angling to make a play for a guy like Giannis. Yeah. I mean, I, I think there's been a lot of talk about what the, what the Clippers do if everybody stays. I mean, I think being prudent and running it back is the course of action. And it seems like from all I've heard, rumblings from the front office that that will be the tentative plan. And of course, you know, there's always an idea that we'll wait for 2021 and, and uh, kind of wait things out or, or even, ne- you know, or just kind of just be prudent. But there's always an idea that we'll have all these assets and we can make a trade and strike gold, kind of like what, the Rockets did with, with uh, James Harden, even though I wouldn't call him gold, you know, because I hate James Harden. But <laughs> just keeping assets in tow, ready for, for a free agent or somebody that's disgruntled on a team who has superstar potential uh, and having those in tow so we can maybe make a, make a move when the move comes about. But, um, yeah, to me, it's Kawhi or bust, really. Of course, Kawhi and slash or KD or bust. But I, I've never really bought into the idea that Durant would be coming to the Clippers, really. And I think this kind of strengthens that. I think I kind of am leaning towards the Warriors, and as insane as that sounds, with this Achilles injury from a week ago or some perspective where everything seemed to point to New York City. But it feels like there's a decent chance that he might just stay with the Warriors. So really, for me, it's it's oh, it's usually it's just been Kawhi or bust. If we can't get Kawhi, I'm fine watching the same team play again on with some short deals for for our uh, our free agents anyways um rob do we want to get to twitter questions now yeah. i feel like no, we can do that. yeah okay um so let's see sorry we had the, the questions are kind of split up here so i put them out last night and then again today yeah um so one of them from tabish ali mula uh do the kd and clay injuries blow the western conference wide open if so, can you see the Clippers move into win-now mode where even if they don't get Kawhi, they might give 
quote, bad contracts to one or two players just below the superstar max level, thinking that will be enough. Uh, yes, I do think the Western Conference is wide open, but no, as we just discussed, I don't think uh, they give up bad contracts for a better chance to win next year. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, next question um, from Logan. Uh, resigned Pat Beverly rap is now that we know KD is out next season and Clay is probably out for most of next season, if not all, should the Clippers re-engage on AD and put Shea on the table? This is more interesting to me. Um, I'd still say no, just because I'm convinced he's going to go to the Lakers next year. Um, But this does make it more interesting, I think, because if you can trade for Davis and not give away most of your good veteran players, um, you know, there would be a chance to maybe win next year, but I, I still probably wouldn't put it on the table. Yeah, I mean, I've talked about the whole idea of maybe giving up a lot for AD because that's what gonna, it's going to take. But the more I think about it, I mean, if we, if we give, up, give up a ton for AD, we, we would maybe barely make the playoffs or not make the playoffs and he'd leave. So I, I, I don't think we should even really bother looking for Anthony Davis much anymore. My thing with, with Anthony Davis is who do the Clippers have that's as good as Drew Holiday? No right. one. The Clippers don't have a player as good as Drew Holiday. And that's before you talk, you know, well, Gallinari's probably the Clippers' best player. Gallinari's probably the main salary piece going back for Anthony Davis. And then you're giving up, you know, Gallinari and Shea and two firsts or something like that maybe. So, like, the, it's not a matter of whether or not the Clippers can contend for a championship with Anthony Davis. They're like, are the Clippers going to make the playoffs with Anthony Davis? The Pelicans, Anthony Davis with the Drew Holiday couldn't consistently make the playoffs. Um, and the Clippers, you know, have a, maybe a little better put together a roster than the Pelicans did, sure. But top, like, the talent at the top of a team is what's frequently most important and the Clippers Anthony Davis can't be a one-star player even playing with Drew Holiday he's had trouble consistently making the playoffs so we like what are the Clippers going to do to it it just doesn't make sense to me if you if you can get someone else like if not and by someone else I mean Kawhi or Kevin Durant right and like them also wanting Davis there as part of the deal and it's like okay then you say well yeah we'll you know, if we're getting Kawhi, but we have to give up Shea to get Anthony Davis in order to get Kawhi, that's worth it. But otherwise, it's, for me, it's not even a question of whether Shea should or should not be on the table. I wouldn't give up much of value for Davis at all because I don't see where the value, you know, I don't feel good about value being added to the Clippers organization in a deal like that because I don't feel confident about him staying after one year. And even if he did, I don't feel confident about him raising the team's ceiling. Yeah. Yeah, all, all good points. Uh, Rob, what do we got next? Okay. Next question is from uh, Don John. What do you see as SGA's ceiling, modern day comp per Shea? I'm usually not a huge fan of comps. I also think Shea is kind of unique and that he's a big point guard who might be able to shoot and um, is a pretty good but not great passer. Uh, his ability to finish at and around the rim is really unique. I think he's just kind of a very unique 
later that we haven't really seen before. I really don't like the Sean Livingston comps. Um, Sean Livingston was a much more explosive athlete, um, but has infamously never been able to shoot threes ever, where Shea was already, you know, at least an acceptable shooter from three his rookie year. Um, and also, I think, a much more cunning finisher than Sean ever was. I really don't see that. Um, in terms of ceiling, like, I think he could be an all-star. I think he'd be all-star all-defense. I'm hesitant to predict, like, all NBA just because that's the very top tier of players, and I'm not sure he quite has the athleticism and or the shot making to get there. Um, but I could certainly see him making, you know, a handful of all-star and all-defense teams, you know, averaging maybe something like, you know, 18, 6 and 6 with, you know, very, very good defense or something in his prime. Yeah, um, I love Shea. He's my favorite Clipper. And as far as who he compares to, I also don't like the Livingston comparisons. I think Doc kind of mentioned Rondo earlier in the year as far as how cerebral he is. And one thing that does remind me of Rondo is Rondo was such a good finisher around the rim when he was in this prime. He was really crafty at using his hands. He has huge ha- he had huge, ha- huge hands and was really crafty hitting the rim. He was such a bad free throw shooter that eventually took away from his aggression hit- hitting the rim hard. But I could see a little bit of Rondo and Shea. You know, Rondo probably was a better passer or a better passer than Shea probably ever ever will be. But just kind of his headiness um, and his uh, smarts of where to go maybe remind me of Rondo, a taller version of Rondo a little bit. Um, Shea's already ahead of the curve with his threes uh, above what Rondo was. But I can maybe see a little bit of that, especially since Doc made the comparison himself and made me think twice about it a bit. I don't, I don't like the Livingston comparisons. All they really have in common is the mid-range and, the, and how tall they are. Um, Sean was kind of a different player. But if I had to say one guy, it's I would maybe compare him to Rondo. But again, like I don't think that does Shea justice, and I think they're different players. It's mostly just Shea's ability to finish around the rim has been the most impressive thing to me all season, and his ability to play defense as a rookie. Um, but I love how he can use both hands and how calm he is under the basket and, and how much he kind of adapted to initially getting blocked by everybody <laughs> to start the season. And then he kind of found his seams and got more confident going to the rim. Um, I love that. I think his, as far as his ceiling, you know, it's, it's, you know, I definitely think he can be a perennial all-star um, 18, six and six sounds like, and uh, maybe a, a steal and a half or two steals and, a block. I definitely think he can be a possible one, 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 uh, one, one, and one guy. Uh, one block, one steal, a three. Which to me, when I play fantasy basketball, <laughs> were always guys I kind of, ta- I always guys I kind of targeted, even if it was like Shane Battier, <laughs> which, uh, which. Hey, Shane pretty- Battier was good. Yo, Shane Battier was legit. He was a very underrated fantasy basketball player, but um, I definitely think he can be one of those guys and. And uh, I think he can be – I think he's going to be really good, which is another hesitation for me, including him in almost any package. And that, and that's not different than it, the opinion around the league. Almost every basketball person that I've heard on any podcast or anything loves Shea and does think that, you know, if you could redraft, a lot of them would pick him second this year for, for this draft, this com- upcoming draft. If there was like – if he was just thrown into the, the Zion draft – I've heard multiple people say that they would just that Shea is so talented that he would go right after Zion, um, and I think that's you know I think that's reasonable, and I think he's going to be he's going to be a really special player. So, 
Yeah, it kind of makes you wonder, like, at what point in the process, like, how did how did we end up with like the consensus that Kevin Knox would go above Shea? Like, and how, when why did that just like never get challenged? Size and points. It, yeah. Because it just feels, but doesn't it feel like, and Rob, like we talked, we worked together on draft stuff a lot last year. Like it felt like everyone was saying, oh yeah, Knox is going to go like, you know, in the seven to nine range, but I don't, I wouldn't want him there. Right. Like (laughs) the consensus, the consensus before the draft was that Knox was going to be like a bad eighth overall pick. So like, why did he, why was he still the eighth overall pick? I mean, I'm happy that it worked out for the Clippers, but and it just kind of seemed like Shea was the kid who everyone was in love with, you know, at like 10 to 12. And it's just kind of interesting how like the, this group think can, can happen. But um, I'm going to, I'm going to throw another name into the comp conversation for Shea, you know, also acknowledging that it's a very imperfect comparison, but um, you know, I, I'm not going to be able to credit who said it because I can't remember who said it, but I saw someone on Twitter say, you know, some line along the lines of um, like great players make their own archetype. Yep. Which mm-hmm. I think is true of, you know, a guy like Draymond Green. You know, there's no, there's no, co- like if you could go back to Draymond Green's draft, if you could time travel back there and you were trying to tell people, no, this kid is going to be great. We have to draft him. We have to draft him. And they're saying, okay, well, who's he like? Al Thornton. Like, what would you even say? <laughs> like, what would, you, what would you say? Like, who is Draymond Green like? You know, the, he makes his own archetype. He is unique. Um, I think Shea is unique. I think the Rondo thing is interesting because of the length defensively, but I'm actually not sure that Shea is quite as cerebral or quite as good of a passer as Rondo was. I think he has... He still has to prove a little bit to me. I mean, he's very good at all of that, certainly starting NBA, you know, quality. But, like, Rondo had some really special uh, – like, the way that he ran the game was really special that I haven't seen from Shea yet. Yeah. I think yeah, in terms Rondo's of the creativity – passer. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think in terms of the creativity with finishing and sort of the general slippiness within the lane – just that aspect of his game reminds me a little bit of Kyrie. Mm. Um, and I, you know, Kyrie is obviously a much more dynamic all around scorer than we will ever expect Shea to be. But, but I, I see a little bit of that there when he gets into the lane and he's flipping around guys and finding different ways to sort of contort his body and use his length to get those lay-ins. You know, I see a little bit of that, that creativity within the paint that Kyrie has as well. Um, so that's that's you know another name that I would maybe throw out there. Although obviously, just as a comp overall, it doesn't work. Is is Shea ceiling like a number two guy or a number three guy? Like, could you win a title with Shea a prime Shea Gilgis Alexander as your number two option? Possibly. I mean, when you think about what the Raptors just did this year, I mean, who was their number? Yeah. Two guy? <laughs> right. Right. Like, that's, like, I think he could be as good as current Pascal Siakam. Um, you know, that is Pascal Siakam is really good. I'm not saying Shea will be that good. I think he could be, or as good as, you know, current Kyle Lowry. Um, if you look at, you know, there are other, like, again, like uniquely, but the Dallas 2011 championship, who's the second best player on that team? Tyson Chandler. 
you know, a very good player, certainly that year, but not like JJ Brea. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, I, I think Shea could definitely be the second best player on a championship team. Again, I'm not saying he will be. Um, I think he's one of those guys where like he could be the second best player and like the third scoring option. Um, yeah. Kind of the reverse of Tobias Harris, where like I don't think Tobias Harris is nearly good enough to be the second best player, but like he could be the second best scorer on a championship mm-hmm. team as long as there's a player who's better. Like I think even if Jimmy Butler leaves, if the Sixers just have Embiid, Simmons, and Harris next year, um, and Kawhi goes to the Clippers, like. I think the Sixers could win the East with that roster. Like, you know, as long as they retain Redick and get another guy who can shoot to space the floor better, you know, Harris would not be the third best player. I would not be the second best player, but he'd be the third best, you know, he'd be third best player, second best scorer. I think Shea's kind of the reverse. Like, I don't know if he'll ever quite have the shooting or like one-on-one, you know, scoring to really get to that level. But like when you add in his defense, playmaking, just his ability to do all the little things, I think, he could definitely be, you know, you know, top 25, maybe borderline top 20 player in the NBA. Um, again, you know, this is if everything pans out, um, you know, but his upside is, is really good. Um, and that's why nobody really wants to include him in the deal for Anthony Davis. Yeah. Yeah, I'm reminded of conversations that we had about Shea going into the draft when, you know, um, I, I know Robert and I both wanted the clip. Like he was both very high on like, this is who we want the Clippers to get. Um, and one of the things that I said a lot before we got to see Shea play the Clipper was what I really liked about him was kind of, he's really gluey, I think. So he's a guy who can be your starting point guard and have the ball in his hands and be running the pick and roll all game. He can't be your leading scorer, but he can run your offense possession and possession out. But because of his, you know, he's a capable spot up shooter and that's something hopefully will develop more over the years. And he's so big and he's a good defender. Like you could sign, you know, if the Clippers got a guy like Kemba Walker or Kyrie Irving, which, you know, we don't think they're going to try to do, but if they did, I could see like Kyrie, and Shea or Kemba and Shea starting together on a team, which mm-hmm. is not something that you could say about a guy like Colin Sexton, right? Um, and that kind of versatility for a player like Shea is what really adds, I think, to his value as a prospect because, yeah, okay, he's not going to be your number one superstar, you know, winning MVP awards, whatever, but he's going to be really, really good and he can fit in a number of different ways around whoever that number one MVP guy is when you find that person. And I think that that also works in this conversation that we're having here where he might be playing point guard either way, but depending on what you need from him, he can do all sorts of different things. Like I think that Shea could, could be the second best player on a championship team. Um, Not next year necessarily, but like, over the course of his career, I think that's certainly within the window. But I also think Shea could be like the fourth best player or fifth best player on a championship team. And I don't know how many guys there are in the league that you could say both of those things about. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like Jimmy Butler, maybe, yeah. maybe people think Jimmy Butler could be the second best player on a championship team. Like if you put Jimmy and Kawhi together, that could be a championship team with Jimmy as the number two guy. 
But it's really hard to see a situation where Jimmy as your number four guy would ever be productive for you. And I think it's really easy to see a situation where Shea as your number four guy would be tremendously value similarly sort of to how Rondo was for that big three Celtics team. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think that that is something that also has a lot of value. Like Shea is going to be a major positive, whether he's your second best player or your fourth best player because of all of the different things that he can do on the floor and the way he sort of fits into whatever's going on. And that's like, I think that's super cool to think about. Yeah. Great intangibles guy. Yeah. All right, Rob, Rob mm-hmm. what's our, what's our next one? Oh, and quickly to the Kevin yeah. Knox thing, mm. you know, that's exactly, it's the, the fool's gold, which is like you exactly said, it's like, you know, these big wings who can score are the guys who, at least in the past decade, but really for a long time are the ones who give championships. So every year, these big wings who look like they can score a lot of points rise up draft boards, even though they're not good in college. Last year is Kevin Knox, where you get him in an empty gym and it's like, wow, this guy's huge and he can move and he can kind of shoot. And then you watch him play basketball. It's like, well, he's not actually good at basketball. It sounds like Jeff Green or something. It's exactly like <laughs> Jeff Green. RJ Barrett, right? Oh, yeah. Barrett is a better passer and could be a better defender. But I think Cam Reddish certainly is like every time, you know, he works out, there's like, look at like how fluid he is and, you know, his shot form, but he doesn't actually make these shots, which is the Wes Johnson syndrome, you know, like, <laughs> again, big wings who being Wes Johnson, right? <laughs> yeah. Like I think Cam Reddish literally could be Wes Johnson, you know, it's these big wings who look really fluid athletically and have nice aesthetic levels of play get hyped up every single year. And every year they're not actually good. <laughs> like these guys never work out basically. But they're wingspan. Yeah. Wings. Yeah. But wingspan. Um, that's my only point about that. Um, the, the Knox love was ridiculous last year. I think on my, on our big board last year, I dropped him to like 13 or 14 aunts. Even that was too high and was playing too much. Like he was just not good in college um and he was atrocious his rookie year um okay so next questions um next one is for my dad uh how badly do the clippers need to keep beverly to stay relevant if no kd ad or Kawhi? i don't know about staying relevant i think they just want to keep him just to help maintain the culture until the team is competitive um i mean i think he's more valuable on a team with one of those guys because he's a perfect guy to play off a superstar who's ball dominant um but i mean i think they really need to keep him regardless because i think so much of their identity last year stemmed from him yeah uh he's important to keep i think uh there's a bs pod with simmons and rosillo and uh, rosillo was talking about how teens with young players really need that that bet in order to make anything of their team and I wanted him to reference Pat Beverly so badly, but he's not a Clipper fan, obviously. And Pat Beverly is the example of that. I mean, the, their record with him was staggering. It was pretty crazy, uh, their record with him starting and not starting. Of course, a lot of those games were with Avery Bradley starting instead. And uh, he's, uh, as has been documented, it was not a very good player. But um, he is pretty important to what culture has been established here. If we don't get if we don't get anyone, I'd be pretty surprised if we didn't bring back Pat. Yeah. 
I think also, I, I think the, I'll go for it. Yeah, I, I think with Pat, it maybe has more to do with him than mm-hmm. the Clippers. Yep. Um, because I think, you know, what the Clippers are willing to give him probably matches up pretty closely with what the Clippers are able to give him um, in terms of, like, where his cap hold is and where his bird rights are. Like, I don't think there's going to be a situation, you know, the one situation where maybe the Clippers – couldn't give him the deal that they want to give him would be if they do get Kawhi and Durant. Um, but otherwise, I think it's just going to come down to, you know, what's important to him? Like, does he really want to be back in Chicago? Does he want to go start somewhere while he feels like maybe he's still, you know, somewhere around his peak? Um, like, he might not want to be the backup, especially, you know, backup on a team with two 21-year-olds starting over him and the sixth man of the year playing alongside him, like the minutes are limited. The touches are limited. He could go start for Chicago or for Phoenix. Um, So it depends on what's important to him. And it depends on how those teams go about free agency. You know, if they go after a guy like Terry Rozier or D'Angelo Russell, how much money they throw at Pat. Um, You know, I think there's a lot of factors outside the Clippers control. I think the Clippers are sort of the stable variable um, or maybe I guess not the variable. The Clippers are the constant in this equation, and there's a lot of other variables that Patrick Beverly will react to. But um, I don't think – well, I think Patrick Beverly's great. I think he is hugely beneficial, I think, especially if the Clippers get the star, get a star or stars, and are competing for a championship in the next two or three years. Patrick Beverly is going to be a huge piece of that. Um, you know, I said they've got two 21-year-old guards starting in front of him. Like, there's going to be big, big playoff games where you say – man, Shea is a little rattled. We're going to have Pat close this game, right? Or like Landry's missing shots. We're going to have Pat close this game. Pat is so dependable and so good um, for those situations. But, you know, there's also a situation where, okay, maybe you get Kawhi and you're thinking, uh, man, we really need more help at the four than we need guard depth right now, right? So, so there's, you know, um, I don't think it's the big thing for the Clippers this summer. Um, I wouldn't say it's like, the most important need to stay relevant, number one priority. But I think they would really like to have him back um, at the right deal. And it's going to be up to him and the market how it shakes out. Yeah. Let's ask Rob. Yeah. Um, next question. I think we have a couple more. Uh, let's see here. What uh, would you like, what would you guys like to see the clips do if Kawhi and KD stay where they, stay where they are? 2020 doesn't seem like a good free agency class. So how does this team get better? I think we already kind of discussed this. They kind of probably punt this year, um, see how the young guys develop, um, keep, you know, clap, clap, cap flexible. Um, and then 2020 is not a great free agent class, but like depending on what KD and AD do, they could, could still be available. I think 2021 is where their sights would really be set. Um, Shamit and Shay would also be older and probably more ready for a real playoff you know, contention push at that stage. Um, so I think there might be kind of a quiet rebuild the next couple of years if that happens, where they're rumored, you know, for free agents or trades and like they might still be active, um, but where they probably don't take many risks um, if they don't get Kawhi or KD or something. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that. Go ahead, Chap. No, go ahead. I pretty much agree with Rob. <laughs> I think the, I think the, ticking clock for the Clippers right now is 
counting down to the summer of 2021 because the 2021-2022 season will be the last year that Shea and Landry are on their rookie contracts. So once you finish the 2022 season and you're in the summer of 2020, you're saying, all right, we've got to give these guys big contracts. We're not going to have cap space to add outside help anymore. Are these guys good enough for us to invest in? You know, um, these kinds of questions you have to ask yourself in 2020. And if you're going to be asking them in July of 2020 when they're free agents, that means realistically you have to be asking them in July of 2021 so that you don't lose them for nothing in free agency. You start thinking about trades and whatever. So July of 2021 is when the Clippers have to say, are we keeping these guys long-term? Do we have another superstar in, you know, that's when the window of flexibility starts to close for them with this current rebuild. So if they reach 2021 and they don't get a guy and Shea is good, but not, you know, like maybe, you know, fringe all-star level guy, they don't have anyone better than him on the team and they don't want to pay him, you know, $30 million a year and like kind of limit their ceiling to, to get better players. That's when they have to start making tough decisions and maybe sort of like rebuild this thing from the ground up again. So that's the ticking clock. I think for this front office is by 2021, you got to get someone in to really say, we're going to start contending for championships. Yeah. It's a really good point, especially with those contracts, man, rookie deals are so, so valuable and you yep. really have to get your shit together before they run out. And yeah. Uh, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, Rob. And so, you know, yeah. if, if the Clippers add help via free agency, you know, if they trade for Anthony Davis, they give up these future picks or whatever the Clippers add help via free agency. I'm pretty sure that really good pick that they have um, from Miami that they got in the Tobias Harris trade is a 2021 pick. So they would potentially be in that last year of Shea and Landry and Jerome also, of course, being on their cheap deals. That's when they'd also have potentially a really high draft pick to either trade for an extra piece to boost their championship run that year or add another cost-controlled help. That guy could be, let's say you have, you know, Shea and Landry and Kawhi um, and maybe Zubat is still around you know as your like placeholder center well that could be where you add another forward who's going to be your you know that cost controlled fifth starter for the next few years on his rookie deal so um, so that's kind of the situation for them I think I think once you I think the bubble bursts after July 2021 um, they you know you, they can't keep punting at that point they either have to be the team that they say they're going to be or be a different team. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, but yeah, I think we have one last question, which is a completely different question. Um, and one which I don't know if any of us really have an answer to, but here it goes from Carlo T. Somewhat off topic question. Now that the NBA season is done, I still need basketball and I'll watch some WNBA. Is there any WNBA team which has an argument for getting the support of Clippers fans? I was thinking of the Sparks due to the LA connection as well as the Sabrina connection. Uh, but they're associated right. with the other NBA LA team, so it feels somewhat wrong. Um, I like watching the WNBA. I have no rooting allegiance for any WNBA team. I just enjoy watching games. I also can't really say that I follow it. Like, if I see a game on, I'll watch it. Um, I don't really pay attention to standings or player movement or anything. Um, I know the, the Vegas team, the Aces, um, got a lot of talent this summer, and I don't know if they've – I think they've gotten off to a bad start, but – uh, they're, I think they're supposed to be a fun team. Um, 
you know, the Sparks are definitely the, the LA local team. So even if they are more of like a Lakers team, you know, if you just want to support the local franchise, I, I do Sparks. But really, I mean, the WNBA is cool. If you're coming into it with no rooting interest whatsoever, you can just pick a team, you know, just watch a few games, figure out if there's a player team you really like and just enjoy it. Like my favorite WNBA player is Maya Moore. So I was always Me too. Old. Um, she's so fun to watch. She's so good. An incredible basketball player. Um, so I always rooted for the Lynx, um, though she's yep. not this year, which sucks. Um, that, that's, that's who I would recommend. I love Maya Moore. She's probably also my favorite WNBA player. I love Candace Parker, too. And, and you know, she's a LA, LA produce, and a lot of people come. She kind of reminds me a little bit of – I hate comparing WNBA players to NBA players, but it reminds me a bit of Lamar Odom uh, a hmm. bit. Um, and I love Lamar. So I love watching Candace Parker. Candace Parker also – the Minnesota Lynx and the and the Sparks have had some great WNBA Finals moments and and uh, I love Maya Moore. Uh, she's just like a very very heady player. Um, she's probably my favorite WNBA player in, in the league. And the Lynx have been a good team for for a while. So um, that's a fun team to to root for. Aside from that, honestly, I mean, I do watch, I do dabble a bit in WNBA, but I pay a lot of attention to summer league in July. Uh, so. We'll have that for a few Summer weeks. League. And I will be at Summer League uh, giving yeah. you that live coverage. Yeah, that, that pulsating coverage of Jerome Robinson. This, the Clippers <laughs> Summer League team is probably going to be pretty bad this year. Like, there's no <laughs> way Shamit Shamit plays. Um, Zubats is too old. Like, Jerome will probably play. I don't even know if Jerome will play the whole thing. Like, if he looks pretty good the first game or two, he might get pulled. Um, like, it might literally be, like, Jonathan Motley and Angel Delgado. And if they keep their picks this year, whoever they pick, I hope we get the return of David Michonneau. I know that would make Lucas very happy, but yeah, yeah Michonneau. I would be really sad to miss it if he was back. <laughs> I'm not going to be there this summer. Oh man, Elliot, what do you? What about you, Lucas? Any any WNBA players that you like? Um, you know, I will say, I will admit, uh, I don't watch much WNBA. I don't, not for any particular reason. It's not like I. I don't make a point to not watch it. Um, I just don't want to follow another thing. Um, It's the same reason why I don't really follow college basketball except for March Madness. Um, I'll watch WNBA during the playoffs and finals if there's a big game, seven or something like that. Um, But, yeah, just too much much stuff for me to follow. So I kind of stay out of – I don't even follow much around the NBA. I don't watch very many non-Clippers games. it's just a little too much for me. So I don't know. I would say um, general rooting interest would, would be the Sparks. I know there's like the connections with the Lakers there, but they are the hometown team still. Um, them hiring Derek Fisher kind of has a bad taste in my mouth, though. So I Oh, no. They hired, not, they hired not, Derek Fisher? Yeah, oh, he's Fisher's their head coach. Why? Okay, never mind. Yeah, that's a very good reason um, for the Sparks. I forgot oh, about that. Yeah, so I would say I probably, probably – um, have an estranged relationship with them as the hometown team right now because of um, because of Fisher being the head coach. Oh. But I, you know, I will say, you know, not only is Sabrina covering them, but um, Miriam Swanson, who covers the Clippers for the Orange County Register, is also doing Spark stuff this summer. Um, so there's, you know, there's some pretty good people in the press room over there. I wish there were better coaches, but uh, the people in the press room are pretty cool. Yeah, I wonder what's what's Sabrina's take on Derek Fisher. I wonder, being a Laker fan and a Clipper fan, 
Mm. I'd love to ask. Well, she's not a Clippers fan. She just writes, but I, I don't know. Like, I think Lakers fans, most of them probably still like him. But I mean, like most fans, they're just, you know, whatever else the players do, unless it's absolutely awful, they, you know, they I don't mean, really turn on them. That, that can't not stand Derek Fisher. God. <laughs> He's pretty bad. Yeah. Anyways, is that the last question, Rob? I believe so. There were questions scattered everywhere, so I might have missed a couple, but I think we basically answered all the big, big ones. And, uh, I'm guessing, you know, we might come back if there's big news um, sometime before the draft. If not, I'm guessing we're probably going to do a draft thing. If you know, even if the Clippers just keep 48 and 56, we'll probably do something. Um, I'm probably going to have on a draft expert to talk about the guys um, who the Clippers draft if they do draft people. Um, I decided not to do a pre-draft pod because there are literally so many people who could be available at 48 and 56. I think it would be better just to analyze the two who they get. I will probably know something about them. I'm probably more statistically than anything, Shap. You, I'm guessing you won't really know anything no. about the two guys. So, mm-hmm. yeah, we'll probably – we might have somebody on depending on what happens there. We'll probably do a pod. And then after that, you know, we'll just stay tuned for free agency and trade stuff. But I actually do agree with Lucas. I think a Gallo trade could happen the night of the draft. But we'll see. Man. There's so many possibilities that could happen this summer for the Clippers. It's a pretty exciting time. Congrats to the the Toronto Raptors and Raptors HQ, uh, a blog that I've been following recently, just kind of seeing their happiness. And I I love seeing some new blood winning a title, especially the Raptors who were unfairly kind of deemed chokers in the playoffs and Clippers North and all that. I, I was genuinely happy. One thing I do want to mention about Kawhi, after spending the first few rounds rooting against the Raptors, I couldn't help but just root for them during the finals. There's that moment where Kawhi had that run, and I genuinely wanted them to win the championship. I didn't care about Clipper interests or whatever the stuff. You know, I wanted the Raptors to lose almost entirely throughout this this playoff run, thinking that it would help move him to the Clippers. But at the end of the day, I, I was really, really happy for them. So major congrats to any Raptor fans listening or any, all the rap, legit Raptor fans out there and Raptors HQ and just that whole community, they, they will enjoy this. And yeah, one day hopefully we can get there too. And I think that'll do it for this episode of the law of the jam, the podcast, anything you guys want to mention? Marcus all won an NBA championship. Yeah. Go to Serge Ibaka. Jeremy Lin. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of Marcus all that's like contributed. Sergey <laughs> <laughs> Baka contributed too. That's true. Like, Jeremy Lin did that, but he he played. Yeah, it was honestly it was great to see all these like very long time NBA veterans get their first uh, mm-hmm. championship. It's always great. Also, yeah, so Jody... freaking Jordan Bell getting another ring. Come on. Yeah. Right. Well, Marcus all uh, deserves it more than Jordan Bell. Okay. You know, Patrick McCaw. Yeah, the Clippers need to sign Pat McCaw this summer. <laughs> Like, that has to be their number one priority. <laughs> Good luck charm. But yeah, that's uh, pretty crazy. Lots of props to Jabbar. I would have Russell Westbrook and James Harden were watching and secretly happy or secretly sad now that Abaka and Durant both have rings. Man, that team was so loaded. And all four of those guys, it's insane. And Kendrick Perkins. And Kendrick Perkins. <laughs> Kendrick Perkins, who went, who uh, I think he was on a pod with, with, uh, with Zach Lowe and Windhorse after this that I haven't listened to yet, but I'm excited to hear his takes and hear what Zach Lowe thinks about those takes. Um, 
Anyways, I think that'll do that. Do it for this episode of the Lobster Jam, the podcast. Rate us on whatever you listen to us. Subscribe, all that good stuff. Leave, leave us some kind words. And uh, we'll probably see you guys next week. I'm assuming we're, we're going to be doing some pods, draft pod, uh, free agency pod, um, and probably just watching the watching the ongoing things that go, that go on in the next few weeks. We're probably also going to do some player review stuff. We started with the centers. We'll eventually get to forwards and guards. That might not might be on the back burner a little bit because things are going to get pretty active over this next month. So. Should be fun. And as always, go Clippers!